Welcome to Tech Interviews, and the second of our series looking at moving to the cloud. This week, we focus on the challenge of picking a cloud provider. So settle back and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to this week's Tech Interviews. Uh, on this episode, we're going to take a look at um, an area that I'm, I'm not sure gets as much coverage as maybe sometimes it needs. You know, as we all uh, look to carry out our digital transformations and, and rush headlong into public cloud services such as Azure and AWS, uh, I think often we, we confuse the simplicity of those platforms with how easy it is to move to those platforms. Um, so to help me discuss that, uh, that issue and, and maybe some of the challenges that, uh, that you might face and some of the areas where building the right solution provider partnership might be relevant, I'm joined by uh, John Green and Avisai. Hi, John. Hi, Paul. How are you? Are you well? Okay. Yep. Good, glad to hear it. So, um, uh, well, 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 maybe to get started, it, it might be useful, John, if you can give people uh, a little bit of background about yourself, who you are, uh, what it is you do, and, and maybe a bit of an introduction to uh, Navisai, the company you work for. No problem. Um, so I'm Technical Solutions Director. Basically, that means um, I run the UK team of solutions architects. So we're a global team, but there's, we've got dedicated architects in the UK. Um, we basically go into customers, meet with customers, um, discuss what their IT requirements are, um, work out you know, ways they can move to the cloud, move to managed hosting, etc. Um, we'll help design a solution. We'll work alongside our internal IT de departments and engineering teams around the world and make sure we um, design a solution that will work for the customer and also, just as importantly, be very, very easy first to support. Um, on an ongoing basis. Um, and as far as an website goes, we've been around for it's nearly 20 years now. Um, we're actually part of Charter Communications, so for everyone in the UK who hasn't heard of Charter, they're actually a, a massive US telecommunications company. I think they're, at the moment, they're sort of the grow, fastest growing internet, TV, and voice company in the US. Twenty twenty six million, I think it was, at the last count customers and about 91,000 employees. Navisite itself are a lot smaller than that. We're a separate sort of business unit. Um, we're at the moment about 900 employees globally um, across the UK, US, and India. Um, we have eight data centers, both here and in the US. We're partners, global partners with Microsoft, um, with VMware, with Oracle, and a host of other companies. Um, we have thousands of clients across the globe and we manage tens of thousands of virtual machines and physical servers. So, so that's, that's your Monday morning filled up then. Um, yeah, what, what do you do with the rest of your week? <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, well, well, you kind of touched on uh, a couple of areas there. Uh, and the area that I, I want to dig into a little bit is, is this idea of um, kind of managed public cloud services because, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit off air um, before we started about how uh, people make this assumption that these migrations to not just to kind of the the, the, the infrastructure service type players, the the, the Azure's, the AWS's, but even uh, moves to things like Office 365. I think people have this assumption that it's um, it, it, it's a real straightforward migration, but but often it's not. And um, so, so so I guess that's the, the kind of services that, that you guys have, have put together. Um, I, I mean, where do, you, where do you see the problems and, and what kind of, you know, and where do you see this kind of idea of managed service provision sits in in, the, in what people are trying to achieve? Right, so, yeah, the reason managed public cloud service, services are around um, is 
like you were saying, it, it, it can be easy. It can be very easy to move to the cloud. If you've got a cloud-aware application, you've designed it already to sit on a particular cloud, it can be a very simple, straightforward to build the solution or move it across from you wherever you're currently hosting it. Unfortunately, though, that's the exception. Um, quite often, it can be very difficult. Um, there's lots of gotchas in there. Um, a lot of IT teams, um, Obviously, they're running at full stretch most of, the, most of the time. They don't have the relevant time. They don't have the relevant experience um, to be able to do this. So that's where companies like us come in. Um, also, companies want to use their IT to work on other business priorities. Um, they don't want to be working on the sort of boring day-to-day -day stuff of managing the cloud environments. Um, you know, all the data stuff, data -day stuff you have to do with the server, the patching, the monitoring, the fault finding, etc. Um, they just haven't got the resources to do that, or they haven't. They don't want to do it. Basically, they want to use their IT teams to do much more important things for the business. So they'll outsource it to companies like us. Um, we can help do that on a day-to-day -day basis, and we can help design environments. Um, we can build the environments, and we can fully manage the environments. Um, so saving the company a lot of a lot of time, resources, and quite often a lot of money as well. So um, I think Ray's a good point there, actually, about this idea of, um, you know, and I think one of the drivers that, that we see, that the reason that people are keen to, to consume cloud is actually this idea of taking these relatively expensive resources that, uh, that an organization might have, you know, they're on-prem, on on uh, you know, people and, and IT teams, um, and, and free them up from some of this kind of more mundane uh, you know, infrastructure type work. But I mean, are there, are there other areas as well that you see, other reasons that people might be keen to consume kind of public cloud? What, what, what are some of the other business cases that you see? Um, there's many advantages to using public cloud. Um, the speed of deployment is one of the main ones. Um, you can spin up environments in literally a matter of minutes. And probably just as importantly, you can actually get rid of those environments. You know, a typical example would be a test dev environment. If you're doing it on-site, historically, you might have had to buy in servers, those servers you're paying for for the next two, three years. Um, you might only need a test dev environment for you know, a week, a month, or even six months. With the cloud services, you can just spin it up, use it as you need it, and delete it when you're finished. Um, another important one is scale. Now, maybe if you're a retail company, um, you're sending out a, a email for a sale or something like that so you've got a you're expecting a lot more hits onto your website um historically again being very difficult to, to sort of build your environment to be able to to take into account of that so with clouds you can just uh, spin up a couple more vms maybe a couple more web servers to take the additional load um you can also set most of these sort of public cloud solutions to automatically do that for you so as soon as you get to a relevant um usage threshold um, the software in the background will spin up some additional resources. Um, it will be constantly monitoring, so it will spin up as many resources as it needs to take the load. As soon as that load diminishes, you know, maybe two, three hours after the email has been sent around to people, it starts dropping off slowly. Those machines gradually start getting switched off. And of course, the nice thing is that you only pay for that resources as and when you're using them, so you don't have to have you know, these big expenses, resources sitting in your data center um, that you're not fully utilizing. Um, talking of paying, um, 
the real big one, we're, we're obviously with cloud, is you only pay for what you use. Most cloud providers are doing hourly billing now for all the main sort of resources. If you need to test something, you can just spin it up, test it, and then delete it. Um, you should only pay for the number of ads it was actually rough and up and running. Um, you don't have to pay pay for it ongoing for a long time. Um, also, cloud providers don't tend to tie you into long term contracts. Um, sort of most contracts now are like a monthly rolling. So if you you know you sign up with um, cloud provider X, you start using them, you don't like their product. No problem at all. You walk away from it at the end of the month and you go on to Cloud Provider Y. Gives you fantastic flexibility on what you build, where you build, and how, how long you have got it for. See, and there's some, um, you know, there's lots of things there that are probably the uh, the thing that, 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 that all businesses are after, isn't it? It's you now flexibility, it's scale, it's commercially attractive, you know, you can, can manage costs. But of course, not everybody's rushing, uh, rushing headlong into cloud services. I mean, you kind of touched on uh, something a little bit early on about the idea that one of the reasons is that there is some some difficulty associated with that. Although it all looks really straightforward, you know, we're all driven by our kind of uh, you know app store experience. Don't I just load an app and doesn't it just work? But there's a bit more complexity. And you, you mentioned the kind of phrase gotchas before. So, I mean, in, in your experience, what are some of the things that, um, yeah, because it's really, yeah, we, and we all know there's lots and lots of compelling reasons to, to maybe consume public cloud as, as part of your infrastructure. But what are some of the gotchas that, that you guys are seeing? And what are some of the things that the customers are not expecting as they try and move to the cloud? And, and maybe even things that, that uh, you've seen kill off cloud projects because people just haven't thought about them. Probably one of the main ones, so cloud can be incredibly simple, like we mentioned earlier, but yeah, there are a lot of gotchas out there, and one of the sort of main ones we see is customers will decide to move to cloud, but they don't really understand the underlying cloud infrastructure. Um, even though, you know, everyone thinks cloud is cloud is cloud, it's not. There's lots of different variations in the actual infrastructure underneath, everything from the way what hypervisor is being used to the actual physical how it's set up. Um, a typical one is historically on physical environments and you know dedicated private virtual environments or private clouds. A lot of redundancy is built in at the infrastructure layer. So you you know you build you get servers that have multiple power supplies. Um, you would use a pair of firewalls rather than a single firewall. You use a pair of load balancers. You'd have multiple web servers. All all the redundancy built into the underlying infrastructure. Um, now. With a lot of the sort of hyper cloud providers, they take a totally different take on it. Um, they don't build much, if any, um, redundancy into the infrastructure. They expect you to build the redundancy into the application layer. Um, so rather than having, you know, you might have a single application server. Well, if you put it on one of the hyper cloud providers, you don't get a, some cloud providers won't even give you an SLA on a single machine. You have to have at least two. Um, you, so you have to build redundancy in at the application layer. So that application has to be able to be split across multiple machines. Now, some applications just it just won't do. It's fine for modern applications or applications that are designed to be work sit on cloud. You know the stateless type applications or you know. Um, Custom type solutions like you know clusters or database ability groups, 
web servers are lacking be well balanced. They, they're all fine to move across and move onto cloud, but anything that isn't designed to be able to split across multiple machines can be a real struggle to put on some of the clouds. So you need to understand how their infrastructure is set up, because certainly some cloud providers do have a highly available underlying infrastructure as well. Um, you just got to, you got to do your due diligence, basically. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, and again, I mean, I think that's actually very wise words right at the end there as well about you've got to do your due diligence because I think you know, and I don't know whether you come across this, but I think sometimes we we see this kind of attitude of let's move to the cloud and then almost I'm just going to wash my hands of any responsibility of this yeah. now. You know, the idea that oh, you know, don't Microsoft just look after everything and make sure it works. And I thought it was quite interesting that you mentioned before, actually, the idea that some providers won't give you an SLA on a service if you've only got a single machine in there. So, you know, is, is, that, is that something that you see that, that sometimes, and I appreciate it's an education thing, but is it sometimes you see that people just push things into the cloud and just assume that the provider is just going to look after it when in, in reality they're not? Very much so. Yeah, especially with the hyper. Um, providers, they, they're not interested in looking after customers' Um It's not their business model. It's, it, they don't misadvertise or anything like this. They just, you have to go to a like, third party um, to actually look after those things, um, which is fine and it, it can work very, very well. Um, but you just got to be aware of it. You cannot just move something across to expect it to work. You know, first time an application fails over, who's going to jump on and actually look after that application, make sure it's up and running again, unless you choose the right provider who's got experience with that application, some knowledge of it, you're going to have to do it yourself, um, which if, you're, if you've moved it all to the cloud expecting it's all going to be done for you and your IT team has changed, you know, maybe the person that was doing that application has moved on to different things, you're stuck basically, you're, you're in a really bad place. Um, so again, it's, it's doing this sort of due diligence to make sure that you partner with the right provider. And I, mean, I think one of the other areas that, that we see as well, uh, and again, I'd just be interested in your take on that. And we'll come back to this thing about the right provider because um, I think that is an important part of the, very much an important part of kind of a cloud migration discussion. But certainly one of the things that we see is this idea that people want to take um, the environment that they couldn't have, so maybe they've got a VMware environment they're running right now, and the idea that, well, can't I just lift and shift that and put that into Azure or AWS as is? Um, and, you know, and I mean, is that something that you see? Is that a good model, you know, is, is, or should people be looking at whether they might want to consider re-architecting some of the things that they do, you know, rather than just lifting and shifting what they currently have? Yeah. Um you can re-architect or you can find a provider that's actually using VMware as the hypervisor layer and there are providers out there, us included, um, we actually have cloud nodes that are using VMware as a hypervisor, it just makes it that much easier to actually migrate across. Um, you can re-architect, um, sometimes it's very easy to do, sometimes it's not so easy to do, but again that's where you need to work with a provider who's actually going to work alongside you to decide, you know, whether that application can be moved or whether whether it needs to be moved on to something different because cloud is not always the right solution. You know, there's lots of other ways of hosting your environment. Cloud works for a lot of them, but it's not always the right solution. And you know, you work with the right provider, um, they will use their expertise. Um, they have obviously worked on you know hundreds, if not thousands, of migrations and pr pretty much seen 
all the different variations so they've got the experience to be able to, to pass it on to you, whereas it might be the first time you're doing it. I, I mean, one of the other areas that's seen, and again, I, I think it kind of falls into this idea of just uh, picking up an environment and just moving it to cloud because isn't that the easy thing to do? Because I, I think the other thing that often um, will come across that I think causes some confusion, and, and again, we've seen kind of cloud migration projects fail at, at this level is actually people not really understanding the billing. You know, we talked before about the idea that, you know, service providers will maybe bill by the minute or by the hour. Um, but of course, that's fine for dev and test. But if you're moving your infrastructures there to run 24-7, sometimes those bills can be can quite unexpected. Uh, and again, I mean, is that, is that something that you've seen? You know, the idea that people don't really understand how, particularly with the big public hyperscale providers, that, that some of that billing it looks great. Uh, it costs you, you know, two pence a, you know, two pence a minute to run a processor. But when you're running that for all of the minutes of all of the week, that suddenly becomes really expensive. Yeah, yeah. No, we see that very frequently. Um, we, we actually do Azure, so we manage Azure environments. We also have our own cloud um, solutions. Um, totally different billing models for both. Now, the Azure one is an absolutely fantastic product. I don't think anyone would deny that. But the billing can be an absolute nightmare. Um, for example, I was actually doing a quotation for a customer yesterday that needed a whole load of storage. Now, a lot of providers with storage, you pay per gigabyte or per terabyte a, a single cost per month, and that's it. Um, the Azure pricing, you've got to know exactly what type of storage you want, all the different files, blog, etc. In the blog storage, there's multiple different types. Um, whether it's hot or cool, um, which how how much availability you want with the storage. Um, there's about six different variations with that. Um, once you've decided that, um, you get a price per gigabyte of the storage, but that's not the only thing you have to take into account. You have to take into account how many times you're going to read that storage, write that storage, delete that storage. You're charged for each one of those as well. So it can be incredibly complex to actually work out what your pricing will be. I would recommend, um, if you're not that familiar with something like Azure or AWS, is to build a very small test environment on it first. Um, play around with it for a, you know, a few weeks, a month, and see what's generated at the end of the month. Um, it's much easier working from something sort of physical that's there at the end of the month so you can see exactly what you've used and where your costs have come from and then you can get a reasonable idea of scaling it up to your full environment, how much your actual environment is going to cost. Yeah, that's, I, mean, I think that's actually a, that's a great tip because, you know, and again, it's, it's something that we've seen a lot of, that the idea that people don't really know how much this stuff costs until they start running it. Um, and actually the idea there that why not build a demo environment first and then you know kind of extrapolate the numbers out from there I think I think's a, a really useful one um, I, I mean one thing I just wanted to kind of delve into as well um, uh, a little bit before we wrap up was that the part of the reason behind this conversation what had caught my attention in site is this idea of a service, you know, and you've, you kind of touched on that you guys provide your own kind of cloud model as well. Um, but this idea that you manage Azure for people, um, you know, because we can look at that and go, and we can, can't we? We can go and consume Azure directly from Microsoft. But what, what's some of the, uh, and I know you've probably, you've probably covered quite a lot of this already in what, what you've talked about, but I mean, what, what maybe in summary is some of the things that um, people should be looking for in a, 
in a kind of a managed provider, you know, what kind of some of the benefits that somebody who manages that kind of relationship with Microsoft, what, what kind of things can you guys bring? You know, maybe not just Navisite, but what are the kind of things that maybe people listening to this show can go and look for from a managed service provider to say, well, actually, if I'm going to make that move to Azure, here's some reasons that I might want to consider uh, somebody who provides some management around that. Primarily, you need to look to a provider who's actually going to work alongside you um, work with you to work out what applications make sense to actually move on to the cloud. Um, sometimes the cloud is seen as a sort of panacea for all your IT needs. In reality, it's not. Um, a lot of things work very well on it, but there's also quite a few things that don't work so well. Um, you need a provider who's going to work alongside you and work that out. Um, there's still a lot of applications that don't work well on cloud. Um, there might be security reasons why you don't want to move your data onto a public cloud. Um, even cost reasons, you know, cloud can be seen as a, a much cheaper way of doing IT. For some workloads it isn't. Some workloads it still makes more sense to actually keep it on a physical machine, dedicated physical machine, or have your own private cloud environment rather than a public cloud environment. Right service provider can actually work alongside you, get to understand your environment, um, help actually help with the migration of the applications to the cloud, um, let you know all the best practices of how your cloud environment should look and should be built, um, help with ongoing management of the solution. Um, it probably sounds a bit trite, but it, this service provider should be an extension to your IT team, not just a provider. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I think that's you know that, that's probably right in all kind of partnership, isn't it? You know, if it's if it is going to be a true partnership, then it should be somebody that you can work with, and you know whether you see them as an extension or not, but at least somebody you can work with. But I mean, I think I mean one of the things you did mention in there that I think often gets missed, um, you know, and it, it just goes to show the value of working alongside somebody who has got experience, and I think, like you said before, has maybe done hundreds of these, if not thousands of these kind of migrations. Was actually, yeah, not don't just assume that maybe even just, don't just assume because you could virtualize it, it's a great candidate for moving to a, you know, a public public cloud model. Um, because again, I think that, that for lots of us, we just assume, oh well, it already runs as a Hyper V or a VMware machine. Surely that will just run in Azure. But yeah, you know, from what you're saying, that's that's not always the case, is it? Correct. Yep. So, well, as, as we um, and I appreciate your time, John, and, you know, and I know you've got a, a real job to do rather than just talking to me on podcasts. Um, but, you know, if people want to find out a little bit more about kind of the stuff that Navisite do and, and the kind of services that a managed provider can provide as, as part of this move to taking advantage of public cloud, um, what, what, what's a good way they can find out a little bit more about Navisite? And maybe, you know, if they want to come and hassle you on Navisite online, what, what's a good way to do that? Sure. So, main place, obviously, navisite.com. I'll post of information on our product services on the site. Um, you can find us on Twitter, we're hashtag navisite. Um, we're on LinkedIn, so just search for navisite or navisite Europe. Um, we're always happy to give demos on our main products, so public cloud offerings and desktop services, etc. Um, we can also give out pre 30 day accounts as well, so on our VMware based public cloud if you want to try it. So without incurring any costs, we can give you a free account, 30-day account, fully functioning account. You can go on, play around to your heart's content. If you like it, you can just roll over to production and start actually paying for it. If you don't like it or it doesn't meet your needs, just just walk away, you pay nothing, you just you know wasted the number of hours you've actually used setting up with. Good experience. 
to try it out and see, see how it works because let's be honest all the cloud environments for portals are similar you know each has got their own special way of doing things but overall you know building a VM is building a VM and once you've used one it's a good start on using the rest um, to contact me um, again I'm, I'm on Twitter so hashtag Jonathan MI Green um, you can search for me on LinkedIn or feel free to send me an email at jgreen at labsite.com John, uh, that's great. I think uh, you know, lo lots of good information. I think lots of things there for people to think about as they um, as they look at you know how they how they can use public cloud as part of their their uh, IT strategy going forward. So, John, look, really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for sharing that information with us, and uh, very much look forward to speaking to you again soon. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed that episode. You'll find show notes on techstringy.com along with all of our previous tech interviews episodes. Next week, I'm joined by Lee Clark of GivePenny UK as we find out how he's used technology to bring innovation to the charity fundraising market. To make sure you catch the show, then please subscribe in all the usual places, iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as all of the good homes of podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review. So until next time, thanks for listening.